Saturday morning. Uh, welcome to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host. And uh, wow, another Saturday morning. Where's the time go? This week, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, perennials. Perennials, we're, we're in the greenhouse. We're potting perennials as we speak. So just, you know, spring is coming. We're potting hanging baskets. Our dinner plate dahlias just came. I don't know if you folks know about dinner plate dahlias, but big, you know, 8, 10-inch flowers, bright yellows, oranges, bicolors. So we're planting those right now. So we're busy in the greenhouse. We're going to be opening Estabrooks Yarmouth on March 2nd, Saturday, March 2nd. Uh, So come visit us. We won't have everything ready, of course, but... We've got to get up and going, Uh, so all the folks in in the store have been getting things ready and packing the shelves with new beautiful product, and and, uh, in the greenhouse, the heat's running. It feels like the tropics down there, so come on in, take a a little walk through the greenhouse, and and at least you'll kind of start to get the feel of spring and the smell of spring. Every time I walk in the greenhouse, that smell, you know, of earth and, and soil, you know, that that uh, just brings you right to mud season in Maine. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things today, but slugs and snails are one thing we'll talk about. We'll talk about um, some Japanese beetles, which are always a problem. We'll also have some questions about different perennials and how to get them to winter a little bit better. And then we're also going to talk about your lilacs. There always seems to be a problem with lilacs and how you get them to bloom, what diseases are attacking your lilacs, and and, uh, how we can take care of that. So we're going we're gonna to talk about all of those things today, but uh, we're going to start out with a question here from Ruth in Harpswell, and her question is, what are the best treatments for slugs, snails, and Japanese beetles? That's a big, broad question. It's kind of one of those, those tough things to answer all, all in one sentence, that's for sure. When it comes to slugs and snails, my recommendation is you start out early and often. So as soon as your plants start to emerge in the spring, that's when we really want to go ahead and and start being proactive. Don't wait until you start seeing damage on on your plants with slugs and snails. A couple different products that work extremely well are um, diatomaceous earth, and that's silica, basically. And so for diatomaceous earth, it has to be reapplied after every rain. So what we want to do is moisten the plants. So you take all the plants and you just put a light mist on them, and then you dust all of them with the uh, diatomaceous earth. The The moisture helps them stick to the leaf, so when they dry, it's actually held on to the plant. But you want to make sure and get it underneath the plant too. So if you've got those big hostas or, say, dahlias, for instance, that, that are prone to slugs and snails, you know, make sure and get it down in the center of the plant, underneath those big leaves. Make sure and get it where the slugs are living. And then dust on top because that's where they're going to come up and feed. And unfortunately, it's a torture type of death for those slugs and snails with the diatomaceous earth that cuts their underbodies and kills them. So not very pleasant. You also can use beer wells. I personally think this is very old-fashioned. You know, you you put the butter dish down in the, at soil level and you fill it with your cheapest beer you can find. My suggestion is you just go ahead and cancel that that right out. Beer's meant for drinking, and it's an old way of doing things. It works, but it's messy, and and you know it attracts other animals. You know, your your dog might get into it and eat the slugs, and and birds might eat the slugs. So my suggestion is shy away from that. Um, Another product that's really great is Sluggo. 
Sluggo is a product, it's 100% organic, and what Sluggo does is it's a pellet, and it actually works wonderful in repelling and killing them, but it's great because it, it's, it's rain fast. You don't have to apply it after every rain. You will have to apply it multiple times during the season, but there's Sluggo and there's Sluggo Plus. Sluggo Plus works on cutworms and some other things, so you get a little bit more of a benefit out of Sluggo Plus works well in your vegetable garden also for cutworms and whatnot. So organically, you know, a good way to go. With sluggo, important to get it down as the plants are starting to come up again. Proactive, proactive, proactive. Be proactive with them, and you're going to get ahead of the ball game. And then the other thing is buckwheat hulls. Now, we use buckwheat hulls as, as a mulch. They're tough to find um, due to the fact that it's tough to get them into the United States now uh, due to customs. Unfortunately, I, I guess they have to x-ray them to make sure there's no contraband or whatnot in, in there. So we've had a tough time getting in in the past years. But if you can find buckwheat hulls, they're a great mulch. And you put them down just a half an inch to an inch uh, deep. And you, you put it around your hosta and whatnot, and, and that will keep them from crawling anywhere. So a really great way to go. So slugs and snails, be proactive. Um, important to stay ahead of the game. Don't wait until you see them. If you do see them, a combination of things like sluggo, diatomaceous earth, uh, buckwheat hulls, you know, pull out all the tools and go after them aggressively. Japanese beetles. Boy, if I had a good answer for Japanese beetles, I'll give you a bunch of answers. <laughs> uh, Japanese beetles are by far the most ravenous insect that we have out there, it seems like, right now. Um, and there are good years, and there are bad years. And every year is a little bit different. Most of your Japanese beetles are found in your in your lawn and in your garden beds. So the grub is actually laid in the in the summer and fall, and it goes down into the into the soil and then emerges as an adult the following year. There's a few things you know out there saying that milky spore, milky spore is a, is a granular and a spore that we put into the soil and it attacks the grub stage. It's a fairly long long process in order to make this work. And the other thing is, here in Maine, we're extremely cold. So most of the research says that milky spore does not work in Maine. My experience tells me differently. I have customers that reliably put down milky spore and are on a program, and it's not a one-and-done fix like it says on the bag. It never is with any product, I'm sorry. There's no pill, you know, to cure everything. There's, you know, so milky spore is something that you have to be proactive with. Um, the nice part about milky spores, so it's, it's organic, but what I recommend to customers is they, they apply every other year. So what we're trying to do is just cut the infestation of milky spore in your yard. Now, the unfortunate thing is if your neighbor doesn't do it and your other neighbor doesn't do it and the other neighbor doesn't do it, then as soon as the adults merge, they're going to fly all over the place. But what you're going to do is you're going to get that grub as it goes into the ground. So what we want to do is apply that in May, June, July, August, September, doesn't really matter. But the sooner in the season you get it, like May or June, that you put it down, the more activity it's going to have in July, August, and September. So this spore actually multiplies and divides in the soil once you put it down. So if you put it down too early, it's just going to sit there. It doesn't hurt to do it early, but it's going to replicate 
if you give it more time. Now, if you go ahead and put it down in September, you're probably not going to get that much control, though you will get some, but you're only going to be in the upper quarter of an inch of the soil probably. So the sooner you get it down, the more potency you have and the better your control is going to be. Now, by putting that down in the, in the summer and fall, what happens is you're killing those grubs as they're laid in the fall. So the next year, your infestation should be a lot lower. Now, that's why we have to reapply every other year, because the following year, your milky spore is not going to work as well. You're going to get a few more grubs, you know, and then the following year, you're going to reapply and build that spore population back up because you're going to lose some over the winter. You're probably not going to lose all, you know, but in an open winter, it'll be worse than one where there's a lot of snow. So Japanese beetles, I first start out with the milky spore. From there, we've got those beautiful Japanese beetle traps. You know, you catch thousands of them. So, you know, my thought on Japanese beetle traps is they typically attract more than, than actually you catch. So what happens is you attract a lot into your yard, they stomp off and eat your garden, and then they go to the dye. So you've got a great bag filled of your garden, but they don't really take care of the main problem because they stop off and, and actually eat. You know, a lot of times you'll see people, they'll hang them on the tree that has a bunch of Japanese beetles on them, and they can't understand why the tree is completely defoliated. Well, I'm catching all of them, aren't I? Yeah, you're attracting them, they're eating the leaves, and then they go to die. So when the Japanese beetle traps, what I recommend, they are a good tool, especially if you have a large field area nearby. So say your neighbor has a field or you have a field, put them out in the middle of a grassy field. That way you're going to draw them out into the grassy field. They're going to feed out in that grassy field, and then they're going to go to die. You just have to remember to walk over there and change the bag quite often. So you're going to pull them actually out of your yard. If you don't have a grassy field nearby and you still want to use them, give them to your neighbor for a Christmas present. Pull all the Japanese beetle into their yard. There's no reason for you to have it in your yard. Go ahead and give it to the neighbor. You know, nice Christmas present with a little bow. You know, create that problem in their yard. So, of course, I'm joking on this. But, you know, when you see a bunch of them in, in people's yards, a lot of times those neighborhoods have the worst problem because they're pulling from surrounding areas. And it's a, it's a lure. So, you know, it's, it's a pheromone. So they're going to just come to that like crazy. And they're going to stop and eat along the way. After that, we start looking into insecticides. And with insecticides, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. You can obviously take a nice, nice little safer soap or whatnot in a, in a jar, soapy water, and just knock them off into that. that is, that's a lot of work. And certainly picking the right plants that you put in your yard will make a big difference also. You know, when it comes to roses, don't pick the most fragrant ones. Pick something like knockout roses that are resistant and don't seem to get as much damage. So picking the right plants is really important. Um, but I also would say, you know, when it comes to insecticides, using the right product at the right time is very important. So, you know, making sure to use the right thing, like a bare rose and flowers, good, good alternative. Um, seven is, is something also that's used a lot. But you don't want to use the same chemicals time and time and time again. Use something with some residual, um, you know, that will actually enter into the plant and help protect that plant. 
do it on, you know, first thing in the morning or late in the day when the Japanese beetles are less active. Uh, first thing in the morning, they're very docile. Um, and same thing towards dusk. So by doing that, you, you actually don't go to spray and then they all fly away. And then they have to come back in order to pass away. Um, organics are great. You know, we have a bunch of the oils and neem oil and some of the others. They worked well as a repellent and also a killer. Um, but what I want to tell you about neem oil and, and the oils is do not spray them during the middle of the day when it's hot. So from 10 to 4, don't spray those oils on your plants because it's just like putting a magnifying glass on, on that plant. You're going to burn the foliage, you know, and that's the tough thing with some of the organics is we just don't have the research on them. They don't give us good directions on the bottle. So try it on a small amount of area, and then as you get more familiar and comfortable with it, you know, make sure and, and do it at the early or end of day. Um, important with the oils especially. Japanese beetles are here to say, they're not going away. So choices when you come into the garden center, talk to us about Japanese beetles. Talk to us about how you can keep them out of the yard. Also talk to us about what plant selections will kind of stay away from attracting them because there's certainly a specific things that they like. We'll be talking a lot more about Japanese beetles throughout the year. The other thing is if you sign up for our e-newsletter, um, we always do a Japanese beetle alert every year. So the first sign of Japanese beetles will send out an email, which basically will say, Japanese beetle alert, the first sighting has happened. You can pretty much generally guess it's going to be around 4th of July. Usually it's two or three days either side of it. This past year with the warm spring, it was a little bit earlier. It was about a week before the 4th of July we saw the first one. But we want to let you know that they're out there so that you can be proactive and get ahead of them. Don't wait until you have a really bad problem. Be proactive. Um, so visit our website, estabrooksonline.com. Sign up for our newsletter, and that will prompt you when Japanese beetles start to show up. We also talk about slugs a lot in our newsletter also, and snails. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Established in 2009, CrossFit Casco Bay is Portland's most experienced strength training facility. CrossFit is the principal strength and conditioning program for many police academies, elite special forces, champion martial artists, housewives, children, and everything in between. At CrossFit Casco Bay, you'll be able to reduce stress, manage weight and body composition, enhance physical strength and endurance, improve flexibility, and recover from injury or illness in a safe environment. The time is now. Stop in for a free demo. For more information, please visit CrossFitCascoBay.com. CrossFit Casco Bay, forging elite fitness. Packers. Vikings. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But when we live united, we make a real difference in the building blocks of life. Children succeed in school. Families gain financial stability. The health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly so do our communities. Real change won't happen without you. Live United. So give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. 
Arthritis Alert. Arthritis Alert. Now, there's a pain-killing cream that reduces arthritis pain on contact. It's called Pain Buster 2. Pain Buster 2 has a rare combination of pain-killing powerhouses to provide deep, penetrating heat to joints and muscles that need it most to help relieve stiffness and improve mobility. Arthritis pain sufferers will be amazed at the way Pain Buster 2 could help them live normal and active lives. Arthritis Alert. Arthritis Alert. Pain Buster 2 is now available at CVS, Walmart, and Walgreens everywhere. And welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. We just were talking about slugs and snails and Japanese beetles, all kinds of problems in the garden. Obviously, it's February and it's cold and we're, we're not thinking about Japanese beetles and slugs and whatnot at this point. But time to start planning. Um, you know, we have a lot of questions. If you'd like to submit a question, uh, please visit us at our website at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. And we'll get your uh, question on the air. That'll give us a chance to discuss a topic that you have. Um, it's certainly something that is important to me is to understand what problems you're having in the garden. And at this point, we have Norm from Springvale. And he has a question He's been enjoying Gallardia, either goblin or fanfare, plants for years. But he's having poor results in overwintering them. Most often I just replace and enjoy. They're in full sun um, with proper moisture and fertilizer three times a season with plant tone, spring and fall, and a liquid in high summer. They're deadheaded weekly, and it sounds like Norm is doing unbelievable job growing Gallardia. They're growing, they're flowering, he's deadheading them, he sounds like he's doing all the right things. The tough thing with Gallardia is they're a fast grower, and they like to grow themselves to death. So, Norm, I think that the big thing about Gallardia, and we'll talk about a bunch of different perennials. Um, Delaphiniums are kind of the same way. Um, some of the different Coreopsis. Um, even some of, some of the, um, you know, daisies. You know, the leucanthemum, you can have the same type of problems with. They're all fairly fast-living plants. They grow really quickly, um, but they like to grow themselves to death. But for the overwintering, it seems like maybe we need to cut back the fertilizer a bit. I think we're pushing them a little too hard. It seems like uh, what I find with, with really rich soil, so if you're adding a lot of compost, if you're if you're adding, you know, granular fertilizer and liquid fertilizer to, to these types of plants, what will happen is we'll have a really, really tough time overwintering them, and especially the later in the season we go. So I would definitely recommend taking the fall fertilizer out on these particular plants. Don't feed them in the fall. I would recommend you probably don't feed them after August 1st. Important to, to make sure to cut that back and let them slow down and go dormant for fall. Um, be aggressive periodically in the early part of the season on, on deadheading and pruning them back. Keep them nice and deadheaded um, going in, you know, towards the, the summer and fall. But once we get to probably September 1st, kind of let them just go. Let them go to seed. Let them kind of think that everything's good. By deadheading them, what we're doing at in late in the fall a lot of times with some of these perennials is that we're actually tricking the plant to think that I need to reproduce. 
Okay, and when a plant thinks it needs to reproduce late in the fall, what happens is it expends a tremendous amount of energy trying to do so. So you probably, as the summer and fall is going, because you're deadheading these, you're getting more and more and more flowers, which is wonderful for us to look at. The tough thing about that is it's telling the plant, hey, I haven't been able to sow my royal oats and be able to spread my seeds so that I have a future generation coming. And by taking all those seed pods and deadheads off, what we're doing is we're telling the plant, hey, I need to flower more, and I need to set more seed. By doing that, we're expending a lot of energy. And what will happen is they'll kind of grow themselves to death. Now, Gallardia is a short-lived plant. You might get two or three or four years. Um, the bang for the buck is wonderful. It sounds like you really enjoy them. So my suggestion is try this with a few of them. You know, especially if they're not in a real focal area. If you're using Gallardia in a real focal area and you want it to look good all season, maybe treat it like an annual, you know, where you do replace them every year. If you let them go to seed, you'll probably get some soldier plants, which will sprout up and grow, and you'll always get new regenerating plants also. So with with Gallardia in, in particular... It's really important to let them go to seed. Foxglove would be another one. You know, Delaphinium would be another one. Um, although some of the new varieties are, will bloom more than one time in a season, you do want to, at a certain point, let them go to seed so that they continue to come back year after year. So, Norm, we appreciate your, your question. Um, you know, with all these tender perennials, there's a whole list of tender perennials that you want to be very cautious about overwilting. And we want to talk a little bit about soil. Soil is one of those things that we always want to enrich it. And we always want to keep adding compost and peat moss and cow manure and fertilizer and all these things. Sometimes some plants don't like rich soil. So certainly if you have an area that is a little bit more sandy, a little more gravelly, you know, still holds good water, um, galardias, foxgloves, um, delaphinium, um, some of the different dianthus like it there. Dianthus can be another one that can be tricky if it's in too rich a soil. It tends to grow itself to death. So all of these things like a soil that doesn't have as much nutrients. So when you're building your garden beds, you want to be mindful of that, that sometimes you can use too much of a good thing. You know, that Costa Main compost is wonderful stuff, bumper crop, you know, all of those things, you know, you, you buy a couple bags every time you're in, and it's still good to add a little bit in when you plant, but make sure your soil is for the right type of plant, and your overwintering will absolutely maximize. Um, you'll get a lot more success. So, Norm, we appreciate the question, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we back uh, with more of The Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Hi, this is Peter Boldick at Harvest Hill Farms. For those folks who are looking for healthy eating alternatives, we have been raising natural range-fed beef and poultry right here in the great state of Maine for over 15 years. Let us introduce you to our Never Ever program. Our animals are never ever introduced to growth hormones or antibiotics, only raised as nature intended. We are conveniently located on Route 26 in Mechanic Falls. To find out more, call us at 998-5485 or go to our website, harvesthillfarms.com. That's harvesthillfarms.com. 
Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. GEICO says, let's make life simpler. Look, I'm all for modern conveniences. But ask yourself, do you really need a blender with 23 buttons just to chop an onion? At GEICO, we think life should be simpler. So we make it super simple to save on car insurance. Just one click and you could be on your way to saving hundreds. Come on, people. Life doesn't have to be that complicated. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Um, we're going to be talking lilacs now. Spring. There's nothing better than a fragrance of a lilac. You know, you've got those big old lavender ones that have been around forever. The common purples, they call them. Um, and then maybe you have French hybrids, which are dark purple or, or a double white um, out there in the back 40 around your old farmhouse. And then maybe you're just taking a walk down along the Eastern Prom, and you can just smell them, you know, coming across from the homes there. Lilacs are traditional made. There's nothing better than lilacs. We all have at least one in our yard. But there's a lot of new varieties. There's been a lot of problems with lilacs over the last few years. There's a disease out there called Pseudomonas. And you don't really need to remember that. Because all you got to do is come in when you have a problem and, we'll, and talk to us and we'll have all the stuff you need to know. But Pseudomonas is a, it's a disease that's affecting lilacs because of frost. We've had some warm weather in the springs in the past, and they push a lot of growth, and then we get some really cold nights in it, and they frost the leaves. Now, we don't see this as much in the landscape, but we see it a lot on newly planted plants. And part of it is the issue coming from the nursery, and part of it is environmental from your yard. So Pseudomonas is something that basically if you see your lilac and the new tips are all turning brown and black. And in the spring, this is pretty common. It's easily taken care of with a, a product like copper sulfate. But the one thing about lilacs is it will abort the flower buds. So it's important for us to make sure that we keep an eye out for it. And I know it's tough because we're all busy in the spring. And, you know, usually the lilacs are a little bit farther away because they're a bigger plant. Um, and usually we don't see this problem on old existing plants, but we have noticed it here or there. So we want to especially take a look at the plants that have been planting in, in, the, in the last two to three years. So if you planted some new lilacs, um, and it's mostly on the common varieties like the vulgaris or the French hybrids, with pseudomonas, it's important for us to be proactive. We don't want to lose the flower buds, but we may have to sacrifice some buds. So speaking of flowers, every spring I have all kinds of questions. My lilac's growing well, but it never blooms. What am I doing wrong? Well, with lilacs, it's important that the pH in the soil is appropriate. So if you, if you look at your soil and there's a bunch of moss on your, on your ground, that tells me your pH is very low. If you have moss in your, in your grass, that means your pH is very low. If you have a lot of oak trees or pine trees or evergreens around, the likelihood is your pH is pretty low. 
And when I say pH, you're probably at a 5.5 or a 4.5 pH. Most lilacs like their pH around 6 to 7. So they like to be a lot more neutral. So you want to go ahead and add some lime to the soil. Now, lilacs set their flower buds in, in the summer. So we want to make sure, number one, you're pruning at the right time. Because we always look at pH as, as the first thing. But if you're pruning your lilacs too late, you're taking your flower buds away. So lilacs, you prune right after they're done blossoming, whether yours blossomed or not. So if your neighbors are blooming and you see the flowers all go by, now's the time to prune your lilac, whether it had a blossom or it didn't. But if you consistently don't have any flowers, we want to put lime on early in the spring and then we're going to do it again in the fall. Now, we could go through the problem, the, the testing and find out exactly what your pH is. But if you have moss and you're not blooming, the general thing is your lilac is probably between 4.5 and 5.5 on the pH scale. How do I know this? From years and years of experience. It's just main soil. We're generally acidic unless you've been pounding lime to it for years and maybe we're gone the opposite way. So say you've put lime on it for five years and you're still not getting bloom, maybe we've gone the other direction. But when I, I'm talking like five pounds of lilac, uh, of lime. We're talking a lot of lime. Um, I would recommend using a 100% calcium lime. Um, that's all we sell now. We're not selling any of the old-fashioned lime, you know, granular lime or powdered lime. That takes a lot longer to put down. And it also, you have to put a lot more product down for the potency. So there is very much differences in what type of lime you put down. 100% calcium lime is much more potent, but one bag will cover 5,000 square feet compared to regular lime, which is either five or 10 bags. So when you actually look at it and you go, my gosh, it's $17 for a bag of lime. Well, if you buy a granular lime, it's 5 to $6 bag, and you need five of them. So that's $30 to cover the same square footage. And we get this question time and time again, why is your lime so expensive? And it's actually cheaper. It's actually cheaper because it goes five times as far. And also, you don't have all those back-breaking bags in, that you have to go ahead and pull for your lawn or your lilacs or whatnot. So you need one bag comparative to five. So it's much easier for you to put down. You have a much stronger product. You won't burn anything. So we're going to put like five pounds around around this lilac, you know, especially if it's a good old established one. If it's a smaller one, maybe it's half a pound, maybe it's a pound. But talk to us in the nursery. We'll be able to give you recommendations on the age of the plant. So you've pruned your plant appropriately at the right time. We've put lime around it. We're going to go ahead and fertilize it with some plant tone. We don't want to use holly tone because that's acidifying. Make sure it's a neutral fertilizer like plant tone um, or garden tone or tree tone. Any of those would work fine if you have them in the house. So now we're promoting growth. We're setting flower buds for next year, and we've changed the pH. The pH is the most important part out of the three. Okay, and if we don't change the pH in the spring, then we won't set flower buds in June and July. Our flower buds are set in June, July, and August, and if we don't do it, early in the season, we won't get them for the following year. We can't change it in the fall. It will be good to set up and put some more lime in the fall so that we set ourselves up for the following year um, just because your pH is low. 
So adding that lime is going to make a huge difference for the following year. Not going to help you this year, except for maybe certain varieties. Now, certain varieties bloom more than once. And this is kind of the new exciting thing that we've had over the past few years is a lilacs called Bloomerang or Josie, and they're reblooming lilacs. The nice part about a reblooming lilac is you get a big blossom in the spring. You know, it's it's a dwarf variety. It's not like the old-fashioned lilacs that are really, really fragrant. They're not really big, but they're very vigorous in growth. So we need to do a lot of pruning on them. But Bloomerang has a very nice nice blossom. It's very similar to a dwarf Korean lilac, which we've planted for over 20 years at our nursery. Um, Bloomerang, the nice part is it's a reblooming lilac. And when it first came out, everybody said, oh, we've got a lilac that'll bloom all season. No, no, we don't. It is a re-blooming lilac. It will bloom once heavily in the spring. And then once we get to, say, July and August, it will have a small blossom again that goes through the fall. I don't want you to think that it's going to have this big, massive bloom set again like it did in the spring, because it won't. The, the blossoms are very small, but very sweet fragrance in the summer. So you get a lot of addition to that and have a, a little bit of fall fragrance. So Bloomerang, the nice part about that is you big blossom in the spring. But what we need to do with that variety is we need to aggressively prune it right after it's done blossoming. It's going to put on 6, 8, or 12 inches of growth. So in order for us in this tough Maine weather that we have up here with snow and ice, we need to make sure and prune it back pretty aggressively so that it gets nice stocky stems, doesn't get a lot of breakage in the winter, and then it also will put on a lot more flowers for the following year and in the fall. So you're going to get that six or eight inches of growth, and then you're going to get these small little flowers. Now you're going to say, oh, it's not very fragrant. It's important to use these plants someplace close to where you're going to enjoy life, close to a patio, close to a patio set out on the lawn, where you have an Adirondack chair, because the fragrance is only good first thing in the morning and late in the day. The heat of the day will knock out the fragrance. There's so much water going through that blossom that the fragrance never really, it never really shows up. But right there at dusk, when you're sipping on a cocktail, probably a mojito with fresh mint, little lime juice, you know, sitting there, you might even add an umbrella just to, to make it, you know, really special. You're going to get this fragrance, and you're going to remind yourself of spring and all the things that the garden rewards us with. That is the best part about Bloomerang, is the summer to me, because it brings you back to spring and how enjoyable spring was, all the flowers that were going on. And now you've got hydrangeas that are in bloom and all these things that are summer colors and oranges and reds and purples and all those hot colors. But that's going to bring you back to spring. Josie is one of the first blooming lilacs that came out. It's not as readily available as Bloomerang. I think Bloomerang is a good plant. I think we just have to treat it appropriately. If you don't prune it, it will get scraggly. It will get leggy. You won't have as many blossoms. They look wonderful in the nursery. What I've seen out in the yard is that without pruning and without aggressive pruning, they look shaggy and they just are not, they're not a happy plant. If you want Lilacs that bloom April, May, and June, then we need to go ahead and use everything from common lilacs or your vulgaris types, your Prestonian hybrids, your dwarf Korean 
lilacs, your Myri lilacs, and then the bloom meringue, which is in there also. So you can spread out your blossom time frame and have lilacs. It's kind of like those hydrangeas. You know, we talked about that in the past where we can get July, August, September, and October now. Well, lilacs are starting to stretch out also. So you may not necessarily put in a lot of numbers, but put in one, you know, of different varieties so that you stretch out your time frame. Your fragrance is much better all spring. Um, and, and don't put all the same type in. You know, use some straight vulgaris hybrids. Use some of the French hybrids. Use some of the Preston lilacs. Use some of the Myri types. Use the Blue Meringue. There's a new one coming out that I can't talk about. I'm going to leave you hanging there that I think is going to be exciting in the Blue Meringue series. So there's a lot of things in lilacs that are coming on, and everybody says, well, how many lilacs? My neighbors have them. Everybody has them. But there's always a new special one out there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Hey, Mom. I'm really star- starving for a snack. Yeah, I was thinking maybe some, some pepperoni breadsticks. How did you know I love pepperoni? Wait, are you able to, to read your mind? Of course, I'm a mom. So, you know about the C I got in geography? I do now. It's the recipe that's so easy, it's not a recipe. It's a recipe-easy, like Hormel pepperoni baked on top of breadsticks. Find more tasty ideas at recipeasy.com. Hormel, life better served. Hi, honey, I'm home. What in the... Get that tire off my good rug. But it's part of my plan to save us money. That tire is not going to be our coffee table. Sweetie, this is to remind us that properly inflated tires could save us more money at the pump than a week's worth of gas. You're getting tire tracks on my love seat. To remind us that we love saving gas with properly inflated tires. Discover smarter ways to save hundreds of dollars on gas and help the environment, too, at the Alliance to Save Energy's website, drivesmarterchallenge.org. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. We just were talking about lilacs, and uh, nothing better than spring lilacs here in Maine. We want to update you on some things that will be going on. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about we're going to be opening for the season on March 2nd. That's always an exciting day for us. One of those times a year where we just go, oh, wow, it's here, you know, and then the rat race begins. The weeks turn into months, the months turn into years, and here we are. We're back again and again and again. Winter kind of passes by quicker and quicker for us as we're busy in the greenhouse and getting ready for all you folks and your demands of the spring. And I'm going to be giving a talk at the uh, Home and Remodeling Garden Show here in Portland on uh, February 17th at 1.45. We're going to be talking about veggie gardening made easy. So if you want to start a vegetable garden or you're interested in just having questions answered, it's going to be about a half-hour talk, so it's going to be really quick and easy. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts, you know, the typical problems that folks have and why. Uh, And then we'll also have a bunch of time to just ask questions. Just be able to, you and I, go back and forth about the problems that you have in your garden. And I'm going to stick around a bit afterwards, and if anybody has any other questions that they'd like to ask uh, about their garden or whatnot, I'll be available. So please join me at the main home and 
Garden Remodeling Show at the Civic Center in Portland on February 17th. Uh, we're also going to be at the Portland Flower Show. And we're going to be having a uh, display right at the entrance as you come in the entrance. And it's going to be of Hort Couture plants. Now, Hort Couture is a new line of plants that we've added for this year. It's a tremendous amount of tropicals and flowering plants that will be in full bloom, looking really nice, interesting, um, different foliages. It's kind of something that we need to start adding into the garden. It gives us a lot of texture and color all summer. They're all annuals. You know, but it's going to be one of those things that it's new, it's interesting, it's different. So we'll have examples of that, and also we'll be there to talk to you about uh, some some new new other things that we have, perennials and whatnot. And again, we're open March 2nd. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this wonderful snowstorm we had. Nemo. It just, the name, the name sounds totally wrong to me. I feel like I should be, you know, in the tropics with a little fish, you know, swimming around. But did you have some problems with the snow? Did you have drifting? You know, we in Yarmouth at my house got 36 plus inches. Heck of a mess because I had to dig a, a big, long trench out to my hot tub. It was awful. But boy, the hot tub was great when I got in. So... We were very lucky. We got snow that was light. We had a terrible amount of wind, but luckily it wasn't heavy. Heavy snow always breaks plants, and so we were extremely lucky that it was light. The one thing about light snow is it likes to blow around, and so we may have some really, really tall drifts you know, on top of some plants, so you want to be cautious about that. You might want to take some of those drifts away. Um, you know, because they may or may not melt in time. And heavy snow like that, as it melts, what will happen is you form ice in the center. And the ice will actually attach to the plants. And that's the heavy weight that we want to worry about. So when that ice attaches, what happens is it just starts to splay the plant open, or you may pull a branch down as the bank, you know, recedes. So be very cautious about that. But all this snow can be a good thing. It's it's a great insulation blanket. You know, it also keeps the deer away from your plants. Now, I want to be very cautious about this right now because the deer are getting extremely hungry. And we'll talk about this in, in, in future episodes that the deer are ravenous right now. Especially now, we had an open winter. Now we've got a bunch of snow which has covered up most of their feed source. So they're going to start pounding into your yard. So start thinking about putting some deer sprays on your plants if you can see them. Or as soon as they show up, do the tips, you know, because uh, it's really important that those deer are going to eat. And it's going to be when you're sleeping. And you say, I don't have any deer. And then three weeks later, you don't have any plants. I have a rhododendron at my house that they've started to hit. I have a couple junipers they also are hitting. But basically, if you have any arborvitae, junipers, yews, rhodes, hollies, be cautious. Especially if it's in a natural travel area. So the wood line, um, but they're, they're brazen. They'll come right up to the house. They're not shy. They need to live. Um, the other thing is, a tip on that is, don't necessarily pull out all those plants in the spring. Sometimes it's good to leave a few plants in your yard that the deer will eat. They will leave a lot of other things alone. So having one or two plants you have to sacrifice in the back 40 is fine. Just give them a little extra water, a little extra feed. They'll pop back. 
but it's important that you don't pull out every plant that the deer eats because they just go down the food chain. If you have damaged plants, you know, you can take pictures of it, send it to us, or come on in and ask for advice. We can help you with staking. We can help you with wound treatment. Um, we don't like to put paint on the plants like we used to after you prune. You know, that's a very old-fashioned thing. It actually seals in the wound, um, so we, we want to avoid that. But the other thing is now we've got an opportunity to look outside in our yard. It's an opportunity to look out and say, hey, what do I have for winter interest out there? So, you know, you're standing at the kitchen sink and you look out the window and you, you're looking out in your backyard and you go, boy, I'm, this is really boring. I don't really have anything exciting. This is the time of year when dwarf conifers and interesting plants shine. January, February, March, when there's nothing blooming, we've got snow and ice on the ground, but we need interesting forms. We need interesting colors. We need interesting conifers. These are all things that dwarf conifers bring us. And I know when you come into the garden center in the spring, it's like, oh, my God, look at that. It's in bloom. Oh, wow. And you walk right by these beautiful, interesting dwarf conifers. Now's the time to plan for some of those spots. Now's the time to look out in your yard and say, hey, you know what? I really could use an interesting weeping spruce here or a different camisiparis or false cypress. Or I could use something yellow there. And I hate it when customers come in and say, oh, my God, that plant's ugly. It's yellow. Is it dying? No, it's interesting. Come on, people. You know, plants are all different. They're just like people. They all come in different shapes, sizes, and they all have their own character. And it amazes me sometimes when I'm in the nursery and I see which plants people pick, and it's a lot of times because the personality speaks to them. So think about your yard and what personality you need to add right now. Go out and look at your yard in a different way. Look at it in a way that, what can I add in the off-season? Because let's face it, Maine is two-thirds winter. You know, spring and summer and fall are great times, but that winter always seems a lot longer than the rest of the year. Even though it's only a third of our year, it seems like two-thirds. So always look at your yard. Um, if you have large trees out in fields or grassy areas, now's a time to maybe take the snowshoes or take a shovel and go out and actually compact the snow around those big trees. By doing that, you'll actually make sure that you don't get mice damage around them. Mice and rodents don't like to go through heavy packed snow. They love to go through open, nice, fluffy snow. So if you pack it around your plants, the mice won't get in there and damage the plants. So that's another good tip of things to do periodically during the winter. Um, with winter, you want to enjoy your yard. So make sure, get out there and enjoy your garden. With all this snow we have, get the snowshoes out, maybe go sledding. You know, get out there and enjoy it. Uh, look at those areas that you could improve for your winter interest. And it may not necessarily be plants. It could be a really interesting trellis or garden art piece on the house. It could be something that you totally don't think about. Maybe it's just building a snowman, you know, out in the front yard. Something different. You know, think about your yard. How can you add to, to it in the winter? And I think you'll enjoy your winter garden a lot more. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to The Joy Garden. By Estabrooks, News Talk, WLOB.
must have been my large Americano mochaccino macchiato. Now the family's gone to bed, and that's my favorite time to get some tips on better rates. Cause my State Farm guy answers late, and even when it's not my agent, someone's standing by so patient. Getting coverage questions answered helps me to relax. Get to a better state, State Farm. Can you tell if these vegetables are being contaminated with bacteria that could cause paralysis? Listen, you can't see it either. Use different cutting boards so that the bacteria in raw meats and seafood and their juices doesn't touch prep surfaces for other foods like veggies. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. Roughly 3,000 Americans will die from food poisoning this year, but you can keep your family safer. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. On to round three. If a train leaves Spokane... Schenectady by Saturday. Correct. March comes before May. What's in my left pocket? Hmm. Half a mint and a rusty switchblade. Correct. Bam. Who lets you watch TV episodes and movies instantly over the internet? Ha <laughs> ha, Netflix. Correct. <laughs> watch unlimited TV episodes and movies for only eight bucks a month from Netflix. See terms of use. That is rad. I know. Can you put me down now? Sorry. I'm a hugger. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. I want to kind of end the show here with kind of the tip of the week. And we're going to start this segment week in and week out because I think it's important to kind of leave you with just a tip of something you should be doing right now. So the tip of the week this week kind of revolves around houseplants. And every single year during the winter months, our houseplants take a beating. It's January, you've been through the holidays, you've maybe neglected them a little bit. But the big thing is our light levels in, in January and February are really, really awful. I don't know about you, but I get depressed. It's so dark. I just want to go to bed at 5.30 at night. And the plants don't like it either. So you might see a lot of leaves dropping, leaves yellowing, plants not happy. Maybe you've got some insects going on. So. Here we are, we're getting towards the end of February, and we got to start thinking about, okay, how do we make these plants look great again? Because now the sun, we're 10 plus hours, we're enjoying life, you know, it's, it's, it's light out till almost 6 o'clock now, can you believe it? At least that's the way I feel. 5.30 maybe, but I'm pushing 6 o'clock. So the tip here is, now's the time to repot your plants. It's time to go ahead and get them in a the new pot. It's put them in some new soil. The tough thing about soil that's that we're using for our houseplants is it's not real soil. It's what they call soilless mix. It only holds so many nutrients, and then after a while, it's dead. So if your plant's been a year, two years, three years, five years, repot the plant. Loosen up the roots. Put some new soil. Use a nice organic soil like Costa Maine, Bar Harbor. You know, nice potting soil. Use a nice organic soil. Use a a fertilizer with micronutrients. Extremely important micronutrients. You should always look for that because it's a soilless mix. It doesn't have a lot of those micronutrients. I'm talking iron, molybdenum, all of those minor nutrients. Not your nitrogen and your you know phosphorus and potassium. Those you can find in any fertilizer. But for house plants, micronutrients are really important. 
Also, might be time to prune the plant back a little bit. And we can help you with that depending on the plant. So talk to us about it. If you ever have an issue with your plant, you can always take a picture and bring it in. Nowadays with smartphones and all of this, we can take a picture of a problem, bring it in, or email it to us. You know, we can shoot you back a quick email with, hey, we this is what we think was com- is happening, or, hey, pack up that plant, let's bring it in, let's take a real close look to it, see what we need to do. But now we're going to repot the plant, we're going to fertilize the plant. I don't want to over-fertilize because it's still early, okay? So maybe once a month. We get towards April, maybe twice a month. We get towards May and June, it might be weekly. Obviously, the plant's going to be taking more moisture at that time, but those micronutrients are really going to come in handy. If you do all of this, the plant will reward you in the summer months. If you wait till summer to do it, it's going to kind of just look at you and go, really, you want me to grow now? So, proactive. I like to be proactive with our plants. Do it now, and the plant will, as the temperatures and the sunlight and everything comes back, if you have an opportunity to move it into a little bit more sunlight, depending on the plant, might be helpful. But go ahead, come out to the garden center, get a nice new glazed pot, get some nice decorative moss to go around it, maybe some beautiful decorative rock to go on top of the soil. Dress it up, make it look better, and then the plant will reward you. That's the tip of the week. It's been uh, a great show today. I want to thank everybody for listening. You're listening to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. Thank you. Have a great week. So get out there and have fun. Enjoy your garden. Tune in every week from 7 to 8 a.m. at WLOB 1310 a.m. and WLOBradio.com. To pick up the podcast, visit us at estabrooksonline.com. And uh, enjoy your week. We hope to see you next week.